Today's heartbroken episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network, brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor. Buy and sell tickets and two taps on your phone. Everything fully guaranteed. Basketball fans, we have an offer for you. $30 off your first SeatGeek purchase on NBA tickets. All you have to do is use promo code NBA Palooza, N-B-A-P-A-L-O-O-Z-A. It expires on November 1st. Download the SeatGeek app or go right to SeatGeek.com. We're also brought to you by Sonos. Their play base adds dynamic, pulse-pounding sound to whatever's playing in your TV. It streams music, practically disappears underneath your TV. For the first time, Sonos offering listeners of this podcast 10% off one order of $2,500 or less for any product on Sonos.com. That is an awesome offer. Available limited time only. Can't be combined with other discounts or promotions. Use promo code BillSimmons10, so BillSimmons10, at Sonos.com to receive this exclusive offer. We are brought to you by TheRinger.com. That's where my football column goes every Friday. That is where we had NBA Preview Palooza for two straight days. We put up a ton of video, um, the Claytheism documentary, which which... I don't know. It might it might win a short short film Oscar. We're gonna submit it. We'll see what happens. Whole bunch of great stuff. Uh, the team killed it. Jason Gallagher, Chris Ryan, all of our video dudes, Shea Serrano, Kevin O'Connor, Jonathan Charks was in town. Um, all of our basketball peeps. Pretty awesome. And by the way, if you're in LA, if you hear this in the next couple hours tonight at Largo, we are going to be breaking down face off a live rewatchables podcast with me, Shay, Jason, Concepcion, and uh, Chris Ryan. Supposedly, celebrity guest Zach Lowe is just going to be in the, in, the, in the crowd. We might have to pull him up for a Q&A after. So anyway, uh, Largo, I don't know if tickets are available anymore, but maybe, the, maybe there's some uh, scalper out there. Who knows? Hey, we have Jeff Bridges coming up. We taped it last week. It runs for about, it runs for a little bit under an hour. It was awesome to have him. He is a resource. We played the IMDb game with him. So that's coming up later. But we got to talk opening night. It was one of the most traumatic opening nights. I think it was the most traumatic opening night. Yeah. Well, Pearl Jam will cheer me up for one second. Then we're going to talk about that, and then we'll get to Jeff Bridges right after this. All right, Tate Frazier's here. We might call my dad. I don't know if he's home. I think my dad went into a coma last night, right around the time Gordon Hayward's ankle was facing the wrong way. Uh, that was awful. Here's my story for yesterday. My son had a flag football game. I love watching my son play flag football. Taped the game, thought I would do the go to the game, get back, skip through all the commercials. I swear this happened. Game ends. We're in Brentwood. Get in the car. It's 10 to 9 on the, you know, on Sirius, it says what the score is? Yeah. And they're in commercial. We get in the car, we're talking about the game, and I'm like half paying attention, and then I'm like, wait, it's, and the announcer's going, oh no, oh, oh God, oh no. And I'm, and it was Gordon Hayward. I, I, 
not only did I not get to see him play a healthy minute on the Celtics, I didn't even get to enjoy like hearing a healthy minute. In five minutes, it was gone. And uh, it doesn't look like he's coming back this season. They're going to find out after the surgery. But he definitely fractured his ankle. He might have fractured his tibia, too. They were saying it was a clean break. That's what they said after. When, when they, I think Ledlow said that like the second time she came back with the report. Because fractured ankle was one thing. But then the tibia, I the mean, t- it's Once just... the tibia gets involved. Fractured ankle, he could have come back. I was doing all the research last night when I got home. You know, it seemed like four to five months, like he maybe could have been back for the playoffs, but then the tibia bone gets thrown in. But the bottom line is nobody knows they're going to do the surgery, I think, today. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they won't know till they get in there and they see what the damage is and how they can repair it and stuff like that. Uh, it, it's just the only other parallel I have to this is Brady in uh, in 2008, eight minutes into the season. And it, all of a sudden it was over. And you go into the season, you have all this optimism. I mean, maybe some teams don't, but I think the Celtics did this year. You have all this optimism. And then it's like, oh, yeah, game one. Hey, new guy in the uniform. And you have all that. And and then it's just gone, like, immediately. And it's it's one of the more bizarre experiences I think you can have as a sports fan. Not to mention maybe the worst basketball injury I've ever seen in a game. I'm trying to think, like, the Paul George thing was bad. Uh, Kevin Ware in Louisville. Mm-hmm. I think the trauma of the moment, too, because when it happened live, they showed Hayward, and he was sitting down still, and they, you hadn't seen the other shots, so then they cut away to his foot, but it was confusing because he was just grimacing, and you're like, what, what's going on here? His, yeah, pull his yeah, hammy or something. Yeah, because it was a lob. Yeah. And then when they cut to his foot, I mean, it was like the whole building went silent because I think they saw the same shot, and yeah. then Kevin Harlan was just like, oh, no. Oh, he my. broke his leg. Yeah. And then the Cavs bench jumped backwards and... That was the first shot. They like ran. Yeah, they to ran, grab almost someone. ran away. Yeah. Oh, I just every the whole crowd was it was silent. I'm amazed. I'm always amazed when these guys go up for lobs and they're going up and, and there's a sea of bodies around. I always thought it doesn't make sense why they don't land on somebody's foot more often, mm-hmm. or what you know why how LeBron all the times he's ever jumped up how one time he never landed forcefully on somebody's foot and like either twisted his ankle or broke it, something like that. This was like the all-time worst-case scenario because you had, you had the lob was a little bit behind him. You had LeBron coming over. You had Jay Crowder, who was got beaten backdoor by the lob, and he's coming in. He's got LeBron coming at him, and he kind of threw his arm out, which I'd love to see another replay of that because I, I, I couldn't tell if he – knocked Hayward off balance like just to foul him or whether he did it just because LeBron was coming but he definitely knocked him off balance ball goes behind him and he just lands I've never seen anybody land like that which is crazy because I mean I've watched I'm older than you so I've seen more basketball than you but both of us have watched a lot of basketball I've just never seen that happen before it It was an all-time fluke yeah and his toe like the tip of his shoe was straight down and it stuck yeah. And then his body went this way and his, and body his foot just flipped stayed it. and yeah. it just I I mean it made me sick to my stomach watching it. Um obviously killed the season for the Celtics. That but I mean my mind's going to is he, is he going to be the same? Mm-hmm. You know, when you have that kind of injuries in his late 20s. Um Paul George I don't feel like was the same for 2 years. Yeah, he was like he, 24 to 26. Now he broke his leg, I think it was higher. Mm-hmm. Um if it's just a fractured ankle and it fractured off the tibia, 
I know nothing other than all the armchair Googling I did last night. <laughs> it seems like that might be easier to heal than just breaking your leg in half. But, man, I mean, you think about how Hayward played. Like, that backdoor lob they ran for him was something Utah did all the time. You know, that was like one of his plays. He was like a shockingly athletic guy for, you think he's this kid from Indiana, white guy. He's just a shooter, but he's actually pretty athletic. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, we'll see if it changes the way he plays. But um, for the Celtics, you know, you watch the second half of that game. Tatum and Brown like really showed up in the second half. I, I was amazed the Celtics could even continue playing. Like they immediately, was they had the lead when Hayward got hurt. By halftime, they're down 16, 18. Mm-hmm. And then uh, second half, they they kind of fought back, and you saw the talent they had in the floor and the way smart skinny Marcus Smart, <laughs> Kyrie, Horford, mm-hmm. Tatum, Brown, and then you think like you're watching them go toe to toe with Cleveland. Like man, if they had Hayward, like this really could have been a conversation. This did you? How did you feel? You're you're in. You I don't you don't care about either team. No, I just thought that whatever Brad Stevens said to that team at halftime, he should be commended for yeah. to be able to get them back in the game. Cause that was pretty much the response afterwards. Like how did the Celtics play after this happens? Cause even I said, I was like, Jason Tatum looks really out of sync to start this game. And everyone's yeah. like, well, he just had to deal with this traumatic injury from his mentor. What do you expect? But they flipped it a hundred percent in the second they half. Really did. And that was impressive to me that they were able to do that. And Kyrie, Tatum, Tatum seemed nervous to me in the first. Yeah, half. Oh, absolutely. Well, yeah, I would but, understand. It was LeBron TNT first game ever, and his and first shot seen, he gets yeah. just swatted by LeBron. That, right. that a shot that he gets off in college, one hundred percent of the time, like a little baby floater, and LeBron's yeah. like not up in here at CNBA. But I just thought Kyrie's reaction to Hayward because he threw the lob was so genuine. Yeah. I, I felt horrible for They're him. Pretty close too, I think. And he took it on himself because he like was like I threw the lob behind him was like how he reacted to it. And I don't know if I was a Celtics fan, I would be more impressed that they all galvanized around each other and yeah. made it because they could have just fallen apart completely. Yeah, so that falls on Steven's shoulder. So, um, and they could have won. Kyrie had a shot to tie the game. Well, LeBron, the Derrick Rose three at the end of the third quarter, which will happen once a year because he sucks shooting threes, and it was a bad shot. It was end of, end of the quarter heave. It goes in. That hurt because the Celtics had a lot of momentum, but. uh you know, the Cavs went on a 7-0 run at the end. LeBron had two of, like, the all-time great LeBron travels. Uh, uh, the can, one with eight minutes left when he, he changed his pivot food. He took, like, eight steps. That was on the internet. But then the other one when he he drove down to the left, did the full hop step, and then the full pirouette around. Like, he just doesn't get caught for anything anymore. I, I don't understand how he gets away with that and also how no one says anything on the broad like of all people of yeah, Reggie, like, oh, for, what footwork yeah for reggie miller not to who is gonna make fun of everything that ever happens on a basketball court for him not to say anything it'd be like that's a travel back in my day or something on those right. lines it's just crazy yeah, make to me one comment lebron uh he's still so good yeah. he does this thing that he started doing in the last finals game last year when it's this new bully ball movie has where he just kind of he dribbles down, he backs the guy down going forward and then does this weird muscular spin move and it's like unstoppable. I don't know where this came from. Yeah, it's basically... The Celtics couldn't stop it. It's like Shaq. Yeah. <laughs> it's what he looks like. Or like, like Hakeem Shaq. Olajuwon or something. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where this move came from. And I don't know why people can't steal the ball from him as he's dribbling forward or how they don't 
jump for the charge, but every time it works. He pounds the hell out of the ball, too. He pounds too. the ball, and he just moves the people back. He must be so strong. We yeah. must have no idea how hard it is to I felt bad him. for Jalen Brown. He had two or three times where he's right there, and he's like getting back down. I'm like, this is good defense by Jalen. Great defense, Jalen. And then it just, boom, get out yeah. of the way. It's a layup. The guy who cost him the game in the last two minutes was Kyrie. Mm-hmm. And I'm giving him a pass for a variety of reasons. It was one freaking game. But also, I think he really was affected by the Hayward thing. But, yes. you know, he drove on Derrick Rose at the end there and just got off a terrible shot. Derrick Rose is guarding him. Like, mm-hmm. you could score on Derrick Rose. On the other <laughs> end, Derrick Rose beat him a couple times. And then I thought he had a good look at the three at the end. I don't know why he didn't shoot it right away. He hesitated. LeBron he hesitated. got his head. He did. Yeah. Jalen Brown had a good shot, too. It was an encouraging game for the young guys. I do think the Celtics just have a lot more talent than they did last year. But this Hayward thing, you know, they 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 constructed this whole team around these Kyrie Hayward, Jalen Tatum, Smart, and obviously Horford from last year. But uh, they, I just don't think they're a contender now. That's, I think they could beat anyone in any game, but I just don't think they have enough people. I think it's going to be a blessing in disguise for Tatum in a weird way where he's going to have to have some onus on himself to be the guy to score. Like He's going to have to have games sometimes where he has to have 25 it's points. It's a baptism by fire. Exactly. It, he has to. There's a best-case scenario in this where Hayward miraculously comes back in April and these guys have gotten five months of reps without him, and I would say the odds are probably 2%, but... You know, that that's where my head I, I went to so many dark places last night. Like I the darkest I went to was I was like, is this karma for the Isaiah for how they what they did to Isaiah? Like you start thinking about that stuff, like is this like the basketball karma guys going, You fucked over Isaiah, this is now what we're gonna do to you? Obviously that's ridiculous. Um but you go to all these weird places and then you know, you start mapping out the season and and, and you're like, Man, we're not gonna win the title. I didn't think this team was going to win the title. Now they're definitely not. And then this guy that we're all excited to watch is gone. And it, there's just no experience like that. It's almost better off to go into the season with a shitty team versus the potential of a good team. And then all of a sudden it's gone. Not to mention, like, I just felt bad for the dude. Oh, yeah. I, I can't even terrible. imagine how much that hurt. That was the. It cr- seemed like it hurt so much he couldn't even feel the pain. Like he was on, he he seemed fine as they were carrying him off. He's like, hey, thanks guys. He must have like his whole leg must have just been, been numb. completely numb, right? Yeah, I think that when everyone ran away from him and he was on the ground, I think that he felt something and then he saw it and yeah. then he was in shock. And then as everyone else saw it, it just like it like reverberated through the entire arena as everyone got a glimpse of what was going on. I don't know how he sat there without any. I mean, that dude is a tough son of a, you know, I mean, he's a tough dude to sit there with this, yeah. with this foot the other way and just be able to get up and get carried out. Because I would have been <laughs> screaming it's in pain. and pass out. I, I don't know how. Especially if his leg broke, too. Man, I, well, I don't. I just don't think we'll ever see a worse basketball injury unless somebody lands on their head and gets paralyzed or mm-hmm. something. That's got to be the worst lower body injury that can happen. Sean Livingston was was really yeah, awful. Sean was bad, yeah. Um, Baron Davis, when he was on the Knicks, mm-hmm. he made a cut and his whole knee basically just exploded. Ugh. So we, we've seen knee stuff like this. Part of me wonders that the high tops versus the low tops. He was wearing the low tops yesterday. Kobe started this low top revolution like five years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about if he has high tops on, does that happen? Probably anyway, right? The way his toe landed, but maybe, I don't know. He had it, so much force going the other way on, on the, on the foot. 
I don't know. It just, I, I can't. It was like his shoe stuck to the ground. Like the tip of his shoe dragged yeah. on the ground. And then it just completely, his body, his weight went the other way. And it just was a freak act. I don't know. I don't think it would happen if you did that 10 times, that same play. I don't think that would have happened. And it just happened in the one in a million time. And it was terrible. I mean, after the game, they were talking to LeBron. And he's talking about his ankle. And he talked, know, to, and then he they, talked about his ankle for three minutes. He's, it was me, me, I, I, me, me. And then and, she and was then, like, what about the resolve the Celtics showed? And he started talking about the Cavs. And, and, it's like, what resolve did the Cavs have? And then they finally asked him about Hayward. And he goes, first of all. I'm like, no, you've already talked for six minutes about yeah. yourself. It's not first of all. I mean, Gordon Hayward, I would hope, would be the first thing that's at your mind when someone's talking about an ankle injury. Yeah. But uh, it was, it was well, terrible. It was, it was a tough night. Stevens was great afterwards, too. People are asking if I was going to call my dad today. I don't think my dad's going to be able to talk for like a month and a half. <laughs> he was so fired up for the season. It's it's like and the the Brady flashbacks were definitely there. It was it was very similar to Oh no. Wait. Is our season over? Like mm-hmm. you think that and then you feel bad for the guy and it, man. Um quickly we should talk about the other game. I don't my instincts all summer were that this Chris Paul, James Harden thing was, was a weird fit because they both needed the ball and because Chris Paul played at a certain pace and the Rockets played at another pace. And then everybody kind of gradually talked me into the Rockets. And, well, they're always going to have an awesome guy on the court. KOC thought they were going to win 60 games. Maybe they will. Um, offensively, this makes them more devastating. I wish I had stuck to my guns because just the eye test of watching that game, I know it's game one. But the pace that he plays is three gears lower than everybody else on that team and how they're going to play to succeed. And I don't think it was an accident the last few minutes. They took him out, and all of a sudden the pace pace quickened. They just seemed like they were attacking more. Um, They were better defensively. Is this an overreaction? That's where Chris is not Chris anymore. It's on the defensive end. He was minus 23 at one point last night. He and Ariza both. He kind of n- neutralizes Ariza on the offensive end because he's yeah. sort of in the way. And like Trevor Ariza is like, I'm going to the corner and I'm shooting a three because James Harden's going to drive and kick it out to me or he's going to finish a layup. It was like Chris didn't know where to go in the court. He just took a lot of that, weird that, spaces. He was like 30, a couple of plays, he was like 35 feet away from the court. Not even a factor in the play because he didn't know where to go. Yeah, when he won, they, one time they had a rebound and Gordon, Eric Gordon started the break and Chris sat back like, "Give me the ball, I'm going to run the offense." And Eric Gordon's like, "No, they, like we run the yeah, like, we we're, go, we're running man. the primary break yeah. every time." It was like watching. Um, I remember when I used to play pickup with the college kids, and there were certain groups that they would just go, and either you ran with them or you couldn't. You shouldn't play with them. <laughs> yeah, it's a different and class. I don't think Chris Paul has fully realized yet that he's not in the Clippers anymore. And it's like, if you're going to be in this team, go full tilt, even if it means you got to play 27 minutes instead of 37. Yeah. But Harden said something after about Chris Paul's knees already hurting. Or is it in that post game? Yeah. Like, well, Chris's knees bothering him. It's like, Chris's knees bothering him? It's game one. It felt like that was more of a, like, I'm trying to get ahead of this whole story where we're going to talk about what's wrong with Chris Paul because he was so bad last night. He did get Steph Curry in foul trouble, which is, you know, his calling card against the Warriors. But P.J. Tucker was the best addition they had to the team last night. He was tough, got a bunch of big rebounds, made some big free throws. Gordon looked like he was in better shape, too. Yeah, and he was, was like, ready to play. He was like, I'm the sixth man of the year. Give me the ball. I'm ready to go. I don't know. I've never seen Chris look that out of seat. This was coming for two years, though, because... One of the myths of Chris these last 
at least the last two years was how great defensively he was. He mm-hmm. wasn't. He he could on a specific play or a specific two minute stretch could do it, but he couldn't do it for four quarters. And the faster point guards in the league were, you know, you could see it when like John Wall came to town or Westbrook or whoever. All of them were like, "I'm attacking." Chris can't keep up with me. Mm-hmm. That was their attitude. Mm-hmm. And now he's it's year thirteen. All the point guard history says that this is when you start tailing off a little, which is I think I don't know whether the Clippers intentionally or unintentionally factored that in. But I think it's something Houston, I'm sure they thought about and they just didn't care. I think the big mistake Chris made um, was not locking down that five-year deal unless Houston already gave him a wink-wink. But by the way, if Houston has to give him a five-year deal starting next summer, Oof. if if he's going to continue going a certain thing, because if he can't be a spot-up point guard, if he can't find that second part of his career like Jason Kidd yeah did. get the I'm shooting three spot up three pointers you kick it out to me James Harden you're I'm basically be an the point awesome guard. passer yeah. I'm moving the ball around every once in a while I'll slash but like if I'm you're you're you you love Curry you're rooting for Golden State last night I was yeah I was rooting for Steph you were ecstatic every time Chris Paul was going one-on-one to settle for an 18-foot two-pointer it's, that was the best outcome if you're the Warriors every time and Please they, keep doing that. They want him to. Yeah. Like, they baited him into some of those. Oh yeah, and they know him very well. That was the thing about Chris playing the Warriors. Like he has this huge chip on his shoulder against that team because they basically stopped the Clippers from being able to win two titles. Yeah. And last night it was like Chris was like fighting his own personal demons, and the Rockets were trying to play a game. I don't know. It was it was strange to witness, really. The uh, I, yeah, I'm trying not to overreact. It's one game. I just didn't. And they won, which is crazy. And they won. <laughs> the positives are just having Chris on the team. It seemed like it pushed Harden to another level. I thought that was my favorite Harden game I think I've ever seen him play yesterday. He w- he was going hard on both ends. Yeah, he's like a hundred percent like getting to the rack and finishing last night. He w- looks like he's in awesome shape. He's never been more confident. He mm-hmm. he knows his weapons now. And when they had Tucker and Ariza and Gordon and and uh, who's playing center Capella? Capella, yeah. Down the whole, who, who was also my, who was also minus twenty seven. I think they had Ryan Anderson in there too. Yeah, they were just, but yeah, with those three wing guys that they had, whoever is the fifth guy, um, Harden really. PJ Tucker is good, just a good. He was player. a great. That addition. was a nice, nice team for him. He had some hard fouls early that I liked. Um, he threw down Durant pretty hard, and everyone, you know, tried to give him a flagrant. He was like, "Look, I'm just playing basketball," and I was like, "This is great. <laughs> this it is the PJ awesome. Tucker I want." From a Warriors standpoint. I, it was a bizarre coaching performance mm. by uh, BS Report Hall of Famer Steve Kerr. I did not understand the lineups down the stretch. I did not understand. Durant was kind of floated through the game. Yes. It was a, It was one of these. It, it was like we just left the finals. Durant was the best offensive player in the league. I thought we all agreed. Like you guys have this unstoppable high screen now with Curry and Durant. And then in that game, it was like they forgot he was there. It was almost like a sign to say, we're saving our guy. Like the, the, all four of them being on the bench at one time, they had those shots. Where it was just the four of them, and it was Nick Young putting up 20 points on the court. It was like Nick Young, Pat McCall, this like young lineup of guys. And it's like, that is so strange now that they're just basically like, these are the guys that we're going to run out there, keep us in the game, and then we'll come in to close it. And they just didn't have enough to close it. I can't believe that Durant and Curry would not be, one of them wouldn't be on the court in a TNT game at least. Mm-hmm. In the season opener, yeah. The Sean Livingston signing, 
was the one thing they did that I didn't totally understand last summer. Kind of expensive. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was one position that they could have patchworked their way out of. I never really loved the fit with him on that team. I think he had good moments. But he's still a mid-range point guard. He's a mid-range point guard, and he's fine. I just think like that if if you're trying to put together this super team and you have to make a cut here or there, that might have been where I where I did it. I might have just tried to roll the dice with a couple minimum point guards or waited till February when you get the buyout guys. Mm-hmm. I didn't really understand the Livingston thing at all. Yeah, it was weird. I mean, he had a strange game too. It seems like he's trying. To, it felt like the Warriors didn't know. Like they didn't look like they were in sync, and they they knew where what they were wanted to do with their whole game plan last night, which is strange for a team that just won the the finals and seemed to be so secure in who they were. Well, then and they they're really relying on Draymond. Yeah, and when he went down, more that's than, when the game flipped more than ever. Mm-hmm. I thought they learned last year just move Durant to the five and and play it that way and go. But then like Looney was out there, and yeah, I thought it was a very strangely coached game. And uh, and I thought Houston stole it, and it probably doesn't mean anything. But I look at this Warriors team; every time they lose, it's their fault. <laughs> it really is, yeah. especially at home. They should never lose ever. I didn't like the energy they had. I mean, maybe maybe the rings and you know the ceremony before, but like even when Durant hit the game winner, they the reaction was weird. It, I just it seems like they need a little more intensity was my takeaway from that game. Take it's, take the season a little more personally. Yeah, it felt like preseason almost with really the way did. they handled it. You're a TNT. You just got your rings. Go out and beat the Rockets. Can we talk about that ceremony and how the how the how everybody all... and the and the organization got one? <laughs> Except for James Michael McAdoo. Where where was he? And where was Ian Clark? Yeah, I know. They didn't even get a mention. Well, maybe they do it when they when they show up. I know, but I, I just wanted I, I think they should get a mention. But I thought it was crazy that Durant was the fourth guy. Yeah, what and was then, that? Before like before, Zaza Pakulia. Yeah, it was like they brought Durant out to like get it out of the way and like finals MVP Kevin Durant as if he was, you know, one of the five guys that had a great fight. Like the, he was like Iguodala at that point, basically. We were texting and you made the point that I agreed with wholeheartedly is that it does feel like this Warrior season, they're pushing the team toward Curry. Yeah. And this is like the step. We just paid Steph all this money. Steph is our guy. KD was the finals MVP last year. Thanks, KD. You brought us the title. Um, this is kind of Steph's team. That was the vibe I got last night. I don't know if I'm overreacting or reading too much into it or whether I was in an emotional spiral from the Hayward injury. But um, <laughs> They gave really, him center stage and he actually... Center stage and a half. Yeah, and he got the microphone. I mean, when he was the last guy up, he kind of like ran to get right behind Clay so it didn't feel that way because he was trying to definitely make it so he didn't say this. And then he gets the microphone, does the whole speech. But last year in April... It was Durant that was going to the new stadium site, giving the speech to everyone. And everyone's like, this is Kevin Durant's team now. Then he wins finals MVP and everyone's like, this is Durant's team now. And then he has this weird summer where, you know, he's getting questioned. Everyone's trying to figure out what his identity is. And then it's like the the Warriors have just pivoted back to like, okay, Steph, this is your team. We know it's your team. It's always been your team. You're the anchor. You're our leader. You know, hold us down. And it's been a weird shift in things. And it seems like Durant even, I don't know, it's... It, it'll be interesting. I, I want to watch that play out. Katie and Steph together should have done the banner thing. Yes. I thought it was weird. I did too. I really did. I was like, whoa. And he's like four he guys. the finals MVP. He's like four people down the line and he's not even in the shot. It's just, it, it changed so quickly. And I don't know if it is Durant 
being that way? Is he saying, I, you know, Maybe he's, he's being weird. He's called himself the servant before, and he said that he's not the star in Oklahoma City. Russ was, and he's trying to do that. He said uh, in when they were in China, he said, Steph's the leader of the team, not me. Well, the big winner last night was OKC, because if, if, <laughs> yes. if I'm OKC and I'm watching that game, I'm like, we can get that team. Mm-hmm. We can go. We can go full-fledged at them. We can play a certain pace. And we can be super intense and we can attack them. And we have and no pressure on us. Yeah. Everyone, no one expects us to beat it's, these guys. It's, it's a why not us? Nobody believes in us thing. And the Rockets, I mean, if you watch that team and you're the Thunder, you have to say, well, I'm not, I'm necessarily not worried about them as much as I was heading into the season after seeing Chris like that. It's like if I'm Westbrook, it's like, okay, Chris I Paul. I, the Chris thing has moved way up the top of the ladder for me on, on uh, most fascinating season subplots mm-hmm. because. If he's going to play in third gear and they're all in fifth gear, I don't know how that works. And, and, is, by, and, and by the way, I felt that way. And I'm like, am I overthinking this? And then inside the NBA after, that was all they talked about. Yep. And I thought Reggie Miller and, and Marv just really, really missed that angle last night. Mm-hmm. And first of all, Chris sitting on the bench in crunch time, I would have shown him on the bench. for. I thought he got hurt. I didn't know if he fouled out. I had to look up. He had four <laughs> fouls. I would have shown him on the bench 40 times. Yeah. What are the producers doing? I don't know. Where's Chris Paul? Hey, there he is. He's wearing a sweat jacket. <laughs> they did the the Weber thing too, where like Weber didn't want to talk about him. Like you know, like we- yeah. Weber, Weber is like the perfect caping for everyone because he oh, wants yeah. to cape for himself. Yeah, so so, it's like C-Web's like, look, I know about disappearing in the last three minutes, Marv. Yeah. Here's how it feels. He also the ref. So Chris Paul gets fat or says he gets fat on the three. The ref gets hurt. And Chris Paul, like after yelling at him, goes over and like tries to cheer him up, like what's wrong, what's going on. The ref goes out of the game because he's hurt. He has, that like, was a, weird, right? Yeah. It looked like he, like, he had, like a rib injury, like, pulled or his rib cage or something. And then freaking Chris Webber comes on and goes, "You got two refs now. Now it's time to throw the cheap shots. They can't see everything." I'm like, God, you're such a dirty player, Chris <laughs> yeah. Webber. Also, that's not how he played. <laughs> He was soft. Everybody used to do that to Chris Webber. It was so ridiculous. Like Marv was like, okay, Chris, thanks for that play. Oh, man. Chris Chris Webber's re- revisionist history of basketball is one of my favorite subplots. He's telling his own story live on the air. It's great. Yeah, it's the best. These guys that go into media, though, it's they can really spin it. Yeah. It's the Tracy McGrady. He got in the Hall of Fame for it. Mm. It's great. All right, Tate. Gordon Hayward, there's no reason you're listening to this, but... Uh, if on the one in a million chance you are. We're thinking of you. We're thinking of you. Everyone at the ringer wishes you the best. Hope you can miraculously come back this year, but more importantly, hope you uh, come back healthy. What a bummer. The Celtics team will keep chugging along. That's mm-hmm. what Brad Stevens does. Jason think, Tatum rookie of the year odds look really good right now. So do the Kyrie scoring title ads. Mm-hmm. Toronto plus 400 in the Atlantic division. Um, Cleveland, I mean, Gonzalez said this in our Slack yesterday, John Gonzalez, new ringer hire, by the way, uh, that this might have been the biggest first month injury we've ever had. I don't know. I'd have to go through all the seasons. I I, didn't, I hadn't researched that, but um, it, it definitely knocked a contender out. It's completely changed how Cleveland has to approach the season now. Mm. Now it's like 53. Four wins to get the one seed, 53. It's basically like last year, and they might not even care if they get the one seed like like, like they didn't last year. Mm-hmm. Now it's like we don't have to practice. Um, we'll rest dudes. Let's just, let's just get through the season. Let's try Derrick Rose. We'll give him some stuff. The one place you did want to have home court advantage or not have home court advantage against was the Celtics in the Garden, and now you, don't have, you probably you don't, don't have to worry about that. Yeah. Tantalizing. I think this is a better Celtics team. 
I really do. I, I think they had so many more weapons. And the Jalen Tatum upside. I mean, Jalen was a man last night. He figured it out. He's like, I'm shooting from the corner. I have a lot of Jalen stock, so I, I was pleased. But, uh, but yeah. All right, fantasy football fans, listen up. It's not too late to join the 450,000 people that have already downloaded Draft this season. You get to play in a real live snake draft. You're done in under five minutes. They last for just one week. Join right now for week seven. Play for cold, hard cash. Your chances of winning are 80% better than on the salary cap sites. All new players get a free entry into a real money draft and make your first deposit. You have to use the promo code the ringer. That's right. Play a real money game for free just by using the promo code the ringer. And it gets even better. Draft.com is so sure that you'll love it that they're even offering our listeners a money back guarantee up to $100. Just search draft in your app store or go to, or go to draft.com. Come play free right now with promo code the ringer. Uh, before we get to Jeff Bridges, wanted to mention I am on two podcasts this week on the Ringer NBA show. Haral Bob and I did a season preview. Haral Bob Valgaris, esteemed gambler. And then uh, on Tuesday, I went on Against All Odds with Cousin Sal and Joe House. We did a bunch of NBA futures. So if you miss those, those are uh, available wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Jeff Bridges came in. It was a thrill for us. He was the best. Uh, we're playing that right now. All right. One of my favorite actors, Jeff Bridges. Hey, Deb. What Bell. a pleasure. Great to be here, man. You're, you're in the tour. You're doing uh, You've Only the Brave a, coming October 20th. a good movie, yeah. How you feeling about it? Really good. Yeah? And, yeah. I saw it for the second time a couple of nights ago. Went to a big premiere, and it was uh, really wonderful. We were honoring all these firefighters and first responders yeah that night they were all there and also the family of the the brave guys who perished in the yarnell hill fire 2013 yeah and now that i mean we're taping this the week of uh the 10th and there's all these fires that are going on Can you believe it oh the man California, all this yeah. stuff. so i mean you read these stories uh, it just goes like boom all of a sudden acres are yeah going in a heartbeat it's frightening i know i was up in montana not too long ago my daughter, Jessie, was marrying uh, Kevin Rodriguez up there. We had a big family affair in our ranch up in Montana. Fires all over the place. Jesus. Man. They're just popping up everywhere. So you, you've, I mean, you've been making movie, movies now for, we're midway through decade five. So you're on the set, you do your scenes, you send it out. Like, what, what's, what's your process after? You're just like, I hope that's good. Is, you're yeah, sitting you in the screening know. going, oh, I hope they didn't screw this you up. You know, you never know. You always have high hopes yeah. you know, when you sign on in a movie. And um, often you're lucky enough to have, you know, a great story, a great script, a great director, a great cinematographer, great actors. And the still the thing comes out crummy. <laughs> you know, that happens. <laughs> and every once in a while you get all those great ingredients and the thing not only comes out cool but it transcends all of your expectations you know and that's what was the what best example of that well this is a good example of that really lebowski you know i mean i've been i've, I've been lucky of you know uh, last picture show fearless or something really you know uh, well, baker boys fabulous baker boys fortunately for you we're gonna go through some of these oh, cool. i do this trick sometimes yeah. when i have people who have had great careers we kind of go through the IMDb cool. because I have a lot of questions because I'm an only child. So I've seen probably every movie you've made or at least oh, 80% man. of them. But oh, wow. I love this stuff. 
And I like when I feel like it's like having a resource yeah. in the studio. So last picture show, that was your big break. Yeah. Youngest guy ever to get nominated for an Oscar. Is that right? I think you were. Yeah. 22 wow. years old. Is that been that record has been? I think you should brag about that more. Yeah, it's almost as impressive as winning the Oscar. I didn't win. You didn't win it, but you got nominated. nominated? Yeah, 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 yeah. Bogdanovich. I I would think there are younger guys than me that have been nominated. Really, to this day, I think that when you got nominated, you were the youngest person who had ever been nominated. But then I think the Kramer versus Kramer kid blew you out of the water. Oh. He, he was yeah, like nine. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, oh that's there you a, go. Well, kids, man. Yeah, they're come ma- on. They're kids masters. shouldn't count. They well, should they're, they're masters. We learn from kids, man. We watch how they do it. <laughs> so, last picture show. What do you remember from that all these years later? Oh, man. Well, you know, the cool thing about picture show is 20 years later, we did the sequel, Texasville. Yeah. And we got the same guys, you know, together. You know, Timmy Bottoms and Cloris Leachman, Peter Bogdanovich directed it. And it was such a great, uh, great group of that original uh, movie. Uh, you know, Ben Johnson was no longer with us, but um, God, what a great actor he was. He was in the original. I think he beat me out for the best, uh, you know, supporting actor. Yeah, yeah. De- deservedly so. He was so terrific in that. But, uh, you know, it was a, uh, we were all, you know, pretty green at the time. And, uh, you know, wonderful cast, Ellen Burstyn, Eileen Brennan. Um, when, when that movie's out in the, I mean, that's been out 47 years. Mm-hmm. If it's on, like you're... Larry you're McMurtry, home. man, great writer, I mean, you know. But you're, you're home, you're flicking channels and it's on, do you stop and watch five minutes of it? I do. Yeah, I watch a little bit of it, yeah. Get like there, weird flashbacks? Yeah, well, you know, that's an aspect of, of watching my movies I've been in. There, there's a home, home movie aspect to it. Yeah. You know? You're seeing yourself all these different yeah, and you ages, remember, haircuts. Yeah, yeah, and you remember all of those things. Like, you, you know, your picture show, when I see that, I can remember having lunch with Ellen Burstyn and Eileen Brennan and Tim Bottoms, you know, and Sybil Shepard, and we're sitting there, Peter... That was his second movie. He did a movie called Targets with Boris Karloff shortly before that. And uh, he was very young, I think in his 30s, you know. And uh, he wouldn't let any of us go to the dailies, you know, the the stuff you know, that we shot. The dailies, yeah. huh? you I know? would do that if I was a director. Yeah, he yeah, did. Stand him at dailies. Yeah, and, um, but uh, I remember, you know, having lunch with all this, these young actors, you know, pretty green. And we said, something is happening, isn't it? He said, yeah, something feels like you get a feeling, you know, and uh, turned out to be a really a special, unique film. I can't think of any movie that it's like, or yeah. you know, no movie that's like it. It just kind of sits there by itself. You know? Such a cool time for movies from like '69 through yeah. '78. It's just all these young directors coming oh, in, completely yeah. changing. Yeah, I, I watched the Spielberg documentary on HBO, and it was I didn't even realize that there was like him and De Palma and Scorsese and there was like five or six guys and they all like hung out. Yeah. And they yeah. just like talked about movies. The, you know, I mentioned Larry McMurtry. Yeah. Uh, he wrote a series of books based on those characters from the last picture show and their Texas Phil is one of those books. Yeah. And there's three more books. So I'm hoping. Are you ready? Okay, huh? You're ready. You're ready I, for another I, one. I don't, I don't know. I'm never ready. But. <laughs> <laughs> Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. I saw in the theater. I think I was mm. five. Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Was that the only time you worked with him? Yep. What did you learn from Clint Eastwood? He was older than you at that point. Yeah, like, oh good yeah. Good 15 years older? Yeah, he's always be older than me. <laughs> <laughs> Clint, uh, 
It was really, a, that was a wonderful experience. I was shot up in Montana, a state that I, I really yeah. fell in love with that state on that well, that movie. was it. You stayed after that. Yeah, and well, I did a couple more movies after that up there. I just fell in love with the place. And um, I can remember, it was Michael Cimino's first movie. Yeah. Another movie I did up there years well, we, later with him was Heaven's Gate. We're going to talk about that one. And <laughs> so, with you know, fa- uh, he's kind of famous for, you know, lots of takes and being very, you know, extravagant with things. But... Um, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, Clinton was giving him his, you know, his first break as a, uh, as a director. He had written another script for uh, Clinton. I can't, uh, was it Magnum Force? I can't remember the, the other script that Mike had written for him. But um, Clinton was giving him his big shot to direct this thing. And Clint is famous yeah, for only like wanting takes. to do one or two <laughs> takes, right? Right. So I was the young punk kid who would go up to Chimino and say, Mike, I've got an idea. Can I just do one more you know, thing? And he says, well, I'll have to ask the boss, you know. And Clint would say, yeah, give the kid, get, go give on. Give him one more. On, give him another one, you know. And then it was so kind of, you know, ironic that we do a, the Heaven's Gate and it's, you know, everything's different. So Clint, Clint scarred him emotionally. Now he went, uh, I, no, do I don't takes. know. I don't think, you know, there's, there's, uh, I think there's values, to, there's, there's a, a value to both, uh, you know, short, you know, just a few takes and then doing a bunch What's of What's the takes. ideal number of takes? Well, you never know. I always thought it'd be interesting to do a movie where you have you only do one, you're only allowed one take. Oh, that's a one shot. It's like a play. Just one, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, it's a like good a idea. One shot thing. Do you ever see the movie A Time Code? Yeah. Wasn't that a cool thing where they split the deal in four? You know, I worked. I talked to um, Tony Houston, who was an actor on that, and the way they did that movie uh, is that they would shoot the entire movie twice every day <laughs> with using four cameras. It's almost like a Broadway musical or something. Well, it was it was weird. They would have four cameras going all the time. And uh, if an actor in the scene left the room, that camera would follow them. And it would follow, you know, the different characters. And it would project on the screen all four cameras simultaneously for the wow. audience. So you would follow the people. And then you were led which one to look at, which image to look at by the sound, which one was, you know, clear. But that, and then, so you, you, they shot it, uh, you know, two weeks, the whole thing. They shot, uh, you know, the, the movie twice every day. You'd come to work, you'd shoot the movie once, all in real time, have lunch. While you're having lunch, you're looking at the dailies and you're saying to your buddy, you know, now, when I come around that corner, just wait a little longer because I want to pull out this gun, you know, yeah. just for a second, you know. And then you would do the do it again after lunch, and then you would pick at the end of the whole process. You pick the one version of that movie that you did that you're gonna put up there, and that was it. There's, you a, lot of, there's a lot of ways to skin the cat, you know. Wasn't Tommy Lee Jones legendary for one take too? I thought he was nicknamed mm, like one take Tommy. I don't know. Tommy and I did quite a few takes. I know. We did blown away. away. Yeah. So King Kong, 1976. That was like. Here's Jeff Bridges. He's going to be a big star, everybody. Yeah. Here's the promotional machine for it. Yeah. That was like your big break as an A-lister, right? Uh, I can't remember. I don't know. I wouldn't Because the Hollywood that machine, when, you're, when your career's kind of going this way, there's always that one movie where they're like, this guy. Uh, oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Is that it? And they just well, blow see, it out. You got my thing there? Let me yeah. See, let me just look at the... I pick, I pick some favorites. Yeah, I... I 
So you had 76 was King Kong. What was before that? Thunderbolt and Lightfoot I had was like the... Because uh, that was a big movie in 74. Um, yeah, well, Clint, you know, Clint's so huge. Well, by know, the way, your it? IMDb is like seven times as long as oh, this. Yeah, I just, yeah, I yeah. No, I'm just seeing what was before... Um, Oh yeah, well, you know, Last Picture Show, like, you know, that was a big, that was big for me. Yeah, but Kong, that was uh, that was a wild experience, man. I think we, I think that we worked on that for nine months. I think. My God. You know, giving birth to the monkey. And it was successful, right? It did. It was like one uh, of the first big I budget think, movies. I think sort of, sort of. I mean, you know, who really was incredible, and in it was Jesse yeah. Lang. You know, Jessica Lang. Uh, I thought Jessica Lange and Charles Grodin really hit the tone of the movie. You know, tone in movies is so important that everybody's kind of in the same world, you know. And and, and uh, I felt that one was a little, a little uneven t- tonally, you know. So you don't know, you know, take it seriously, tongue in the cheek. But Jessie, you know, I don't know, she was she was so great in it, and. Uh, she was, that's when people were like, wow, that's a movie star. Jessica Lang, beautiful. I remember a couple of stories that pop into my head. We shot it, you know, the monkey didn't fall off the Empire State Building like oh, the no. original. It fell off the Trade Towers. Right. You know? And they were still there. And oh, we're showing up for the big scene with them, you know, the monkey's on the, on the ground. He's just fallen. And, you know, we just come to work, and this little guy comes up to me. He goes, "Do you like my temple? My temple?" I say, "Your temple?" He says, "Yeah, my temple. I live over there. I I come here. I praise uh, the Lord. I walk your temple." He says, "Yes, I'm Philippe Petit." I say, "Oh, you're the guy who walked across." Oh. He says, "Yes, I'm a friend of Jessica Lang. We used to perform together in Paris, and uh, I walk across." This is and it happened just you know I think the year before maybe something like that yeah and uh, he he says do you juggle and I say no and he taught me how to juggle in about five minutes and then uh, for the rest of my stay there in New York I would f- watch him you'd see him on the street you'd be walking down you know doing your business you'd look down the street and you say what is there am I seeing things is there a guy on a unicycle holding on to a taxi cab coming down the street. And you say, it is. And it would be Philippe Petit. And he would come out, and he'd have a big rope on his shoulder. And he would be like, um, you know, he wouldn't speak at all, you know, like kind of like a mime kind of thing, you know. But he would get some strong guys together, to, and he'd tie the rope onto a lamppost or something, get these guys to pull on it, and he would leap up there on that rope, and he would perform. This is what he was sentenced to do. You know, yeah. the judge, you know, because he was found guilty for breaking the law. And they said, we sentence you to perform free for a year in the park or something. And so he'd get these guys to pull on the rope and he'd jump up there and perform. And then after he, you know, a couple of minutes, you know, 10 minutes, he'd jump off, get everybody lined up facing each other, curl the rope up on his shoulder and take his hat, you know, tip his hat and time it perfectly, go right down the line, waving to all the people and catch a cab and on the side of the cab and take off again. Wow. Magical. King Kong. Yeah. Special effects have not aged well for King Kong in case you No, haven't. exactly. Yeah, I mean, 1976 I'm a, you know, was rough. I, I, I've been a, uh, 
I've been a fan of King Kong. I used to pretend to be sick to stay home from school to watch yeah. it on the original. You know? Oh, yeah. But they've really getting that monkey down now, man. Wow, I've seen the last two. They're really looking good. We Planet had, of the know, Apes is another Ours one. was just terrible. You know, we had, uh, who is that famous... Um, Yours looked like a doll guy, on a string huh? on the top oh, of a fake building. Oh, well, it was so... They had... You know, they had... Uh, who's the great stunt guy? Um, I can't remember his name. In the suit, the gorilla suit. Yeah. They had that version, and then they had a giant 70-foot, you know, stiff as hell, you know, yeah. a, a <laughs> version like this. I remember uh, the scene where Jessica is sitting in the palm of the monkey's hand, you know? And uh, they made a terrible mistake. They made two left hands. You know, they what? They, yeah, yeah. So that that pissed you know the director off, who was quite a volatile cat. And uh, this, so the scene is Jesse's in the monkey's hand. The monkey's supposed to you know gently kind of be caressing her with her fingers or whatever. And uh, there's the the monkey's hand was made in Italy, and so there was an Italian guy assigned to each finger, right? To manipulate the finger. Oh, my God. Of course, the uh, director didn't speak Italian, and the guys on the fingers didn't speak English, so there had to be an interpreter between them two, you know? And that that didn't work well at all. It was too much lag time. So the director just raised his hand. He says, just look at my blimmin' hand. Just watch my hand, you know? (laughs) And so you got these Italian guys working the fingers, looking at the guy's hand, and they practically killed Jesse. And they, you know, oh, you're hurting me. No, God. God. Oh, there's so many wild stories from that movie. Jesus. 1980, Heaven's Gate. (laughs) You mentioned it. Yeah. Which has now... The reputation is, you know, Isn't one of the it? most expensive, biggest bombs and all that stuff. Did you? Yeah, but when no, you're on no, the no, set, no, do you I realize you were that? going to go another place. Where? Now it's considered a classic. It's kind of yeah, it's, um, it's know, had a masterpiece. Kind of a, yeah, you know, it's had but a come it, around. Yeah, but when it came out, there was so much animosity for our uh, director Clint East, uh, not Clint Eastwood, uh, Michael Chimino, yeah, uh, that they just killed it with the reviews. And um, I mean, I you know, I have my. Th- theories about what what happened i think let's hear it well we were you know it was a time when mtv was just coming out and uh, fast editing you know and the digital editing was just coming in and people were getting used to that speed mm. and heaven's gate was very slow kind of almost like the russian director uh, tarkovsky you know he would just sits you know and the, deer hunters like that too yeah, and first deer hour hunters deer like hunters that. super slow yeah and you gotta you've gotta uh, get with the filmmakers rhythm and not try to you know it's like uh, going to a dance and they're playing a waltz and you say no i want a cha-cha man yeah, yeah. cha-cha you know no it's a waltz dig the waltz you know you got to get with the you know the guy the guy's rhythm. So I think that was one thing. And then the other deal is that Chimino, um, you know, he was the the darling after Deer Hunter. Yes. Of Hollywood. And, uh, you know, everybody said, oh, whatever you want to do, Mr. Chimino. He said, well, I want to make this epic Western story. And it's an amazing story uh, about, uh, you know, back in those days, you know, in the 18, you know, 18, what is it, 70, probably something like that, mid 1860s, there was just a handful of men, cattle barons, who owned all the cattle from Texas to Canada. And uh, 
it was at the same time when immigrants were coming into our country, splashing on our shores, and they'd get out to Montana and Wyoming, and it'd be freezing, and there are all these hamburgers walking around, you know, cows walking around, and they're starving, so they started to eat these cows, and the cattlemen said, oh, no, you can't do that. We're going to hire a hundred Texas gunmen to come in there and kill all the people, the immigrants who were doing that. And they wrote a, you know, an official paper that was signed by the president of the United States authorizing the whole deal. That's the, you know, that's one element of the story. Have you ever seen the movie? I th- I saw it along like when I was in high yeah, school. It's a cl- it's really a it's classic. Been thirty it's years. Really incredible. It's long. I mean, yeah. that, it'll be on TV sometimes, and it'll be like the channel guide block is just Heaven's Gate for four hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's it's really worth it. But you gotta you gotta get with the guys' speed. Right. I well, just one other thing about yeah. Heaven's Gate. Is we were shooting a, a scene where I'm I'm killed out in front with um, Isabel Huppert and. Um, is walking killed out there, I think it might be too, in front of this cabin. And we just were finishing that scene. And Mike said, gathered the crew around in the cast, and he said, uh, the owner of this land is going to burn this cabin down because he doesn't want it on his land anymore. Does anybody want it? And I raised my hand. And I said, yeah, I'll take that that cabin. and Because I had bought a... Um, a ranch in Montana, yeah. a few hundred miles south, and it was the, the hog ranch, which was the whorehouse from Heaven's Gate, and a beautiful barn, and I numbered those logs and moved it down to my place, and that's where that's where I live in Montana, in the whorehouse wow. from Heaven's Gate. Heaven's Gate, kept giving. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Uh, I'm going to skip over Tron unless you want to, if there's well, anything. I, I, you know, I, got I know we're, pres- we're a little pressed for time. Okay, you do, you know, it's your show. You do what Tron, you like. Tron, though, I was a video game kid. Oh. I was excited for Tron. I saw it in the yeah, theater first weekend. Yeah, yeah. And then cool. it had the a belated origi- resurgence. The original, the original yeah, 82. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then it had a belated, it didn't do well, and then it was a little like Heaven's Gate, where people kind of came Comes around, around yeah. on it, yeah. all of a sudden it has a sequel. kind of kitschy and weird, and yeah. I mean, it definitely feels very early 80s. It doesn't you it? Oh, yeah, man. And that music, Wendy Carlos, that music is so great. So Saturday Night Live, 1983, you hosted With Your Bro. Yeah. What do you remember about that? <laughs> I remember uh, being in a room with all the writers. And, uh, you know, Bo and I, we jammed and had some great ideas what we wanted to do. And being in the room pitching those ideas... And we're laughing, and our faces are all animated, and the guys just have this in. <laughs> They're staring you down. Impla- implacable expressions with nothing. It's the weirdest feeling, man. You know, you're pitching something, and it's just yeah. nothing. But Bo and I had a great time, uh, and my father was in it too. I think you, you know, I think you can Google it. You can Google uh, all three bridges. You can Google, you know, Bo and Jeff Bridges Saturday Night Live, and you can see this scene that Bo and I did with my dad. Uh, a big fight that we do, and we had a great. We was had a Eddie great Murphy time. in that? Had he left by then? I think or was Eddie he still Murphy there? might have been there. Yeah. And then Bo and I had this trip where a, a skit where I'm playing a gay uh, masseuse. What was my name? Uh, I am. Oh yeah, my name was Sandra, and and uh, you know I'm preparing for a massage, and the door, you know, my door knocks, and I open up, and he says, uh, and Bo is there, and he says, I've come for my massage. Uh, I'm looking for Sandra, and I say, I am Sandra. Please come in, please. 
and uh, I get him down there on the on the bed, you know, and I'm oiling my body first before <laughs> I before I play. and I put oil all over him, and then I you know basically molest him on the <laughs> table, and I couldn't resist knowing that it was live TV. I couldn't resist pulling down my brother's pants in the in you know at the end of the thing as oh the kind God. of the coup de gras and uh, exposed him. Was he mad? And no, I mean, you know, he you know, I paid it was a payback for teasing me all those years. You know, <laughs> he was eight years older than me. And the guys came down, the what do you call it? The guys who you know don't allow you to swear or whatever they and oh, the they FCC? Did, oh, the yeah, FCC, they're they probably were, upset. Oh, they, were, they say, we were going to c- cut this, but we figured you you boys were brothers. And so, and that yeah. didn't make any sense. Like, in, you know, incest was okay, <laughs> but I, I was, it was bizarre. But we had a good time. We should mention your dad, who, because I was younger, for me, he was the airplane. I picked the wrong time to stop oh, sniffing glue right. guy. Like, for the young, young generation... Airplane was such a big movie in 1980. Yeah, that he was like, oh, that guy. Wait, he was in other movies. Like I, oh, I had no idea. Oh, I was yeah. a kid. Well, he. Uh, I mean, he had a he phenomenal was, he was career. Very, yeah, he was very, very famous in the 60s for a TV show called A Sea Hunt. Yeah, where he played a skin diver. But before that, he was in High Noon with you know Gary Cooper. Did a, a bunch of movies before that, but he, he had such great success with Sea Hunt. That people, it was kind of the ultimate compliment. You know, they thought he was a skin diver. That, that's how well he pulled it off, and that was, you know, great and wonderfully financial. You know, wonderful. Uh, you know, we got a lot of money for our family. We moved to a bigger house and everything. Yeah. But it was um, disappointing to him in a way because he's such a versatile actor, and uh, from that time on he kept getting all of these uh, scripts for skin divers you know well, and even knew so there were that many scripts for skin divers ve- yeah well all these you know skin divers he turned them down you yeah. know because you know he had developed this strong persona and uh, that's what you know people wanted him to you know du- duplicate you know what it was and um, and then he did uh, you know airplane and kind of share. I remember I did a movie with him called blown away yes and, and uh, in Boston, in Boston, and I talked to uh, you know the producer when we were starting out. I said, you know, who, you know who would be a great actor to play my uncle would be Lloyd Bridges. Do you know? Have you heard of him? And he, he says I, he laughed. And he said, yeah, your dad, yeah, your dad's great. He says, but he's really more of a comic. I said, what are you what? talking about, man? He says, yeah, you know, with airplane and stuff, and I think people will, you know. I say, oh, shit. you uh, you can make him read for the part? And he said, would he read for the part? I said, oh, man. Oh, my God. So he came in, he read, and he, of course, knocked it out of the park, and he's my, you know, he was my uncle in that movie. Against All Odds, <laughs> 1984. You play. I don't think you really did a traditional sports movie. This is the closest you did because you're yeah. a receiver on the Dolphins. By the way, a very convincing receiver because I like this movie. I've oh. watched it a couple of times. You're oh. convincing. It looked like you had actually oh, studied the, the pass well, I did. I'm stuff. trying to think of the guy that I studied. It looked like, like you had had some with. training. Yeah, there was a great guy in the... Uh, you were like a young Wes Welker. Outlaw. Old uh, Wes Welker. Yeah, he was... The, uh, I can't remember. Oh, oh Chandler. Uh, Bob Chandler. That was the Bob guy. Bob Chandler from the yeah. Bills. Yeah, yeah. OJ's yeah. friend. 
Yeah, I probably so. Was he in the Bills? I thought he was in the Outlaws. He, he was originally in the Bills. Yeah, yeah. Or anyway, this guy, I remember I had dinner with him or something, and he was like, basically like a crip, you know, crippled guy. He, he, he couldn't sit down. He was like this, and he goes, yeah, I'm going to play one more season. I say, what? You can't walk. He says, I, you can't walk. He says, oh, yeah, I know, but I can, I can still do it. I say, what are you talking about? He says, yeah, I show up, you know, three or four hours before the game and they shoot me up with a bunch of stuff. And, you know, I, I said, well, why are you going to do that? He says, catching that long ball, nothing like it, man. Nothing gets you that. Oh, that's awesome. He says, I want he says, you know, I, I have to do everything I can to stop myself from just cr weeping after I catch that ball from ecstasy. You know, he's just. And uh, so that was, you know, that was an interesting movie. Against all odds. Played the Phil Collins song. That was like that oh, era yeah. when they started and, and promoting so, with the song. I was so upset with that. They didn't let him sing it on the Academy Awards for some reason. Why? Did, he, did it win the Academy Award? I think. Probably. I don't know, it, at least was tune. nominated. Yeah. yeah. And then it had, it also, if anyone's ever watched it on cable, phenomenal car chase scene near the beginning. Oh, you and oh, James man. Woods are oh, like wow. having this seven oh, minute car chase. It's, man, it's that really was right great. by my mother's house on Sunset. You, you know, weren't driving God, it, right? Did. Oh, yes, I you was driving. Oh, man. Oh, my God. Oh, me and Jimmy Woods, we were driving that thing and. Uh, like you were really these, doing the actual like Oh yeah, completely everything. We were all and we had the traffic all blocked up going east, you know, going into town. Yeah. But there were, you know, a lot of traffic going uh, to the, the other beach. Way. Yeah. yeah, going, you know, going the other way. And we'd be driving along and somebody, you know, driving to the beach would say, "You know, I don't think I'm this traffic. I'm just going to hang a Yui and we'd come right into the shot oh sometimes." God. Oh. That, good one. You know, there's a, a that's based on a movie called Out of the Past that was really an incredible movie. We're going to take a quick break to talk about Gillette. I keep telling you this. The tip of a Gillette razor blade is measured on an atomic scale. That means their blade edges are thinner than a single brain cell. Tate, are you shaving yet? <laughs> you shave? I, try. I do. Like, well, you know, once every two days or something like that. Are you yeah. going to have the Steph Curry thing where all of a sudden you I come actually, in and you have I a Fu I think I identify with Steph Curry because we have the same facial. We have a baby face and the facial hair just hadn't quite come in yet. Once I start taking steroids, you'll start seeing the scraggly beard. <laughs> hey, no. Steph Curry might take that the wrong way. Steph Curry is 26. All of a sudden could turn the peach fuzz into a goatee. So you're, you're, how old are you now? I'm right there. Yeah, I'm right there. All right, there you go. All of a sudden, you might have you might have this full beard going. Looking at you, Nike. Uh, hey, listen, the Gillette Research and Development Team has spent a lot of time making your shave closer and more comfortable. Over 1,000 craftsmen and women in Boston busy making your blades fail one of their tests, and the blades will not leave the factory. They never stop working to make your blades better. Now, that includes the price tag. You can get Gillette blades at their lowest prices in years. See for yourself at GilletteOnDemand.com. Gillette, the best a man can get. Pricing applies to select products and is at the sole discretion of the retailer. And while we're here... From a gambling standpoint, we are going to remember the 2010s as the decade when live betting took off. Where you're betting at is just as important as who you're betting on. So here's an idea. Go to mybookie.ag. They've been in the business for years. Their reputation rock solid. They do 100% cash bonuses. Off the bat, you're making money for practically doing nothing. And they have the fastest payout. Seriously, just two business days. They have in-game live betting the most rewarding player perks in the business and an all-new mobile site that makes wagering on the go a breeze. Lay down some cash. Try to win big today. Join now 
and MyBookie will match your deposit with up to a 100% bonus. Just visit MyBookie.ag, use the promo code Bill Simmons to activate the offer. You play, you win, you get paid at MyBookie.ag. All right, we're going back to the one and only Jeff Bridges. Starman, not only a great movie, it actually should be a Netflix series. I think they bring Starman back. I think I want to spend like 12 episodes with Starman. You know, they did that. You know, they did that after the movie came out. Oh, they it did it on like good. network TV, right? And yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, and, uh, I need a, I need the Netflix twelve hour. I know, it twelve could be episodes. Very good. It was such and a it's great all, idea. And it's all set up. You know, yeah. I gave the. You know, she's pregnant. You know, and she's. I gave her one of those silver balls, and it's oh, all yeah. set up for something. Did you keep any of the silver balls or no? You know, I did. I got some silver balls. <laughs> got like three left. Yeah, it's an opera. Had an operation. Put them in. There. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm so. I, and I heard that they're going to make a. Um, they're going to do another version of it. And I thought, well, my God, it was, you know, too bad they didn't make a... I don't like know. remakes. Yeah, I, too bad they, they didn't make, make a... Yeah, too bad they didn't make Because my thing with remakes is if I can watch the movie and it's still really good, like if I could watch it with my 12-year-old daughter, be like, watch this movie, this is a good one, and it, and it holds up, don't remake it. Well, I'll tell you what, I, where I disagree with you, man. Okay. True Grit. Well, but True Grit is... It's a total was, remake, man. But that was too dated, though. It was what like from mean? 55 well, years ago. You said, I'm just right. Am I right? Yeah. yeah I was man. ready for the True Grit remake. Yeah, 50 and years. Especially is, for your 12-year-old girl. I mean, you got uh, Haley Seinfeld in there who's so she loves, great she's in the movie. She's a big fan of hers. So show her True Grit, man. By the way, she, I don't know if you saw her in Edge of 17, but she's no, a really good actress. No, I got, oh, I yeah. know she's good She's actress. She's going places. Oh, yeah, she's great. Singer and everything. Jagged Edge. During this mid-80s era of, it's like this thriller era, do I trust mm. Person X? Is he really the killer? Is he not? It's a good one. You and Glenn Close. Mm. You turn out to be the killer. That's right. I don't, spoiler alert, 32 yeah, years later. Yeah, yeah. Was that the first time you killed? You were the killer in a movie? <sighs> I think I killed some people in Heaven's Gate, you know? But you weren't like a... Murderer? No, I wasn't a murderer. Was that my first murder? Yeah, I don't you, know. Maybe. You went full murder. I, in this uh, there was a guy. We're doing Heaven's Gate. I told you being shot in front of that cabin, right? Yeah. And Chimino's famous for many, many takes. So I had sixteen suits made with a uh, hundred squibs in the suit. Oh my god! Hundred shots, explosions with blood bags all done. They had sixteen of them, and we went through. Those suits three times they reloaded them and we did that scene Does that hurt that many times hurt feels like little like well no here's here's the thing it was in the days it was a little kind of primitive how they did that thing and they had like a to do those shots there was a board with wires attached to these nails and the people I would run a nail across it and it would set off all these shots on your body and I was talking to the guy who was doing that. And I said, now, you're going to shoot me once in the shoulder. I'm going to reach for my, um, my shoulder holster, a pistol in my shoulder holster. Let me get that out. I'll get a couple of sh- When I get one, two shots out, and now let it go, right? So the first take, you know, boom, I get shot in the shoulder. I go for my shoulder holster, and before I get the gun out of the thing, boom, and he sets one off right under my, right, right under my arm. 
and I said, oh, I'm, I've actually been shot. My arm, I'm bleeding now. My, and then boom, 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 boom. And I fall down. And I said, well, I'm, I've been shot in the arm. I'll just I'm, I'm lay here die. and die on screen, you know, bleed out. And uh, I wasn't dead, but I looked at my arm, the huge bruise on my arm from being, and I go over to the guy, I say, let me get my gun out before you set the things off. And he goes, oh yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. My bad. Every time, man. He screwed up? Every time. Maybe he didn't boom, like you. Boom, 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 like this, you know. It was, it was just so sad. Uh. Now, we're doing, um, this is many years later, and we're doing Jagged Edge. And my stand-in, Lloyd Catlett, who's been my stand-in through about 70 movies. I met him on Last Picture Show. And he's, he's been like my your stand permanent stand-in? Yeah, he's been oh, my stand-in all this time. And he says, and at the end of Jagged Edge, when I'm going to go kill, uh, come in and kill um, Glenn, Glenn Close, Close I, I'm going to pull out my knife and then she's going to shoot me. You know? And he says, look who's this, the uh, special effects guy who's going to pull the trigger on your thing. And it was this guy. It Heaven's was that guy. same oh, guy, no. man. I go, oh, no. So I go over to him, and, you know, Heaven's Gate was, you know, 15 years before or whatever. And I say, you know, Bobby or whatever his name is, I say, wait till I get my knife out, man, yeah. before you shoot me, you know? And he goes, oh, yeah, 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 sorry about that. Boom! Right under my arm. Oh, in the no. same place. And I took that knife, and I... I threw it down on the ground and it magically f flipped up in the air and landed right by the guy's head, you know. Oh, I could never, I could never figure out if he was doing that on purpose, you know, did I wow. insult him some way? I don't know. We got to skip over some 80s yeah, thrillers skip, skip. and go I'm, to... I'm uh, telling too long stories. No, this is, this is exactly what I was hoping for. 1989. <laughs> My favorite Jeff Bridges movie, The Fabulous Baker Boys. Oh, gosh. Um there's so much. Sweet. You know what's cool about this movie? It's almost been 30 years. It's still 100% rewatchable. Yeah. It feels like it could kind of come out now. It's not that much oh, different. Yeah. Pfeiffer at like the perfect point of her oh, career. Man. You're at the perfect point of your career. Oh, my you brother. You got all this stuff with your oh, brother. Man. I never knew like why, because I didn't know that much about the history of you and your brother. Like how much of this is yeah is kind of tapping into real stuff versus right. not real. And, yeah. And it's, and her and the piano, it's just, I'm oh, a huge yeah. Pfeiffer fan. But. And then you had, uh, you know, this great director, Steve Clovis. Yeah. He wrote that in his 20s, man, and directed it. I think he was still in his 20s. It's a fucking awesome That's movie. his first movie. Yeah, it's his first time out, you know. Wow. So what do you remember about that one? Oh, well, there's so you can many play the piano, movies. right? Like, like well, you would from years Dave, ago, you'd know well, how to do it. Well, a little bit, but not like that guy, you know. Yeah, right. Um, uh, Dave Grusin is who, who you're hearing play the piano. But I told Steve, our director, I said, look, if we can pull the illusion, you know, because movies are all about illusion. He's like, we got to pull the illusion that I play. We just do it one or two times, and that'll be it. So um, I, uh, I set up some video cameras when Dave was doing the score, one kind of far back so I could see his body movements in the general position of his hand, another one right over the keyboard to really look at his hands. And then I uh, asked uh, Steve to give me the bars of music where they're going to go from my hands to my face or vice versa. And I learned those bars. I could play those bars, you know. And I, so I, wow. I, I could play a little, I could play enough to learn those bars. And so I, you know, learned them. And then when we shot it, I had a little earwig, a little speaker that you put in your ear so I could hear Dave, what Dave was playing. We muted my piano, 
but I'm actually playing the keys that you're hearing. And so the, you know, the illusion worked pretty well. Usually when people play piano in the movies, they're trying too hard. They're, yeah. they're throwing yeah. their whole body into it. And the ones that actually work are the ones, because real people who don't play the piano don't do that. Like they're, yeah, yeah. They're, they're cool yeah. about it. Yeah. The movie has a nice vibe. It's it a really interesting is. rewatch, too, because of, uh, you know, she, you could tell she was a little nervous about singing in real life, and it translated yeah. into the role. And it just There worked. was a, um, a song, you get the soundtrack, and they left out my favorite song that she sang was more than you know. Do you know that song? Yeah. It's, it's, it was the song that she, um, you know, she auditions for the brothers. You know, yeah. more than you know. So beautiful. And that wasn't in the soundtrack. And that's not in the soundtrack. I don't know why. Wow. Um, Fisher King, you worked with Robin Williams. Mm, yeah. Gosh. Everybody loves him. Or everybody loves working Such on an him. incredible cat. I was nervous um, doing that one because he was, you know. He was he's such an amazing comedian. Yeah. And I had some serious stuff I had to do in that movie. I had one monologue I had to give uh, to him, his character in the coma. His character was, you know, completely unconscious. But I had this fear that Robin would be, you know, screwing with me, you know, all during my big, you know, serious monologue, you know, trying to break me up. <laughs> and the ap- the antithesis of that actually happened. He was... So supportive, you know, and it's it's odd. How can somebody be supportive if their eyes are closed and they're not moving? But somehow, just the vibe, you know, he was he was so um, so supportive uh, in that scene, and and I it made me understand that comedy was just a tool in his kit bag. He was a masterful actor, you know. Didn't you dig him in um, whenever when he played? He had a series of about three movies he came out where he played the bad guy. You know about yeah. The, well, Insomnia, he, so he was really yeah, good. Yeah, in that yeah, one. yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. Was this right around the time when you felt like you could do any movie you wanted? Because after Baker Boys, where your choice, the choices you were being offered were at a different level, or did that happen earlier? Because there had to be some point where you're like, I'm Jeff Bridges, I want to do this role. And they'd be yeah. like, oh, cool, Jeff Bridges wants to do it. Well, I never, it's never been like that. No? No, I'm... I, uh... There must have been a point where you had more power than you used to have with... I, uh... Or maybe you I didn't never, think of it that I never way. thought of it that way. You know, I try to resist... <laughs> resist making movies as much as I can. You know, I don't, hmm. it's not, I'm not going out and trying to... I've done it a couple of times, movies that I've produced, you know, that I've really been proud of and, you know, worked hard at getting made. But normally I do my best to not engage in making movies because I know what it takes. You know, it, you know, for one thing, you're, you're away from your family. Right. That's one of my regrets in my life that I, you know, missed a lot of my kids growing up. And, you know, that, that's, you know, I can get depressed about that. Um, and... Uh, there's, you do one movie, then you're not going to be able to do some other movie that might be coming down the pike that you're not even aware of. You're committed. And, uh, yeah, you're committed. Yeah. And I like to do, I got a lot of other stuff. I Music and paint, and I got a lot of other stuff. So I really try hard not to engage. And so I end up doing movies that I just can't resist. You know, there's just a, a story that's so cool or a movie that I'd love to see or some other artist that's, it, you know, it's just too great and that will, you know, suck Yeah, you me. never had your run where you're like, I'm going to do a Born Identity trilogy. Yeah. Just bang yeah. out movies in Amsterdam. You're, this one's going to shock you. I love The Vanishing. 
which I'm sure you get, but it's like one of the all time cult thriller movies. But have you seen the original? Well, that's but that's the thing. It always gets compared to the original. It's, it's like, can I just like the one with Jeff you know, Bridges and Kiefer Sutherland? The original is better. Man. You think so? Oh man, yeah, yeah, for a lot of reasons. But but it's what's interesting. Directed by the same guy. Did you George Schleiser, and he wanted in the American version. He wanted my guy, the bad guy, to get his comeuppance. Barney. Barney. But in Hello, the, Jeff. It, yes, yeah, Barney. You had yes, that weird yes, accent. Yes, and you talk very and, uh, deliberately. Well, well, that was one of the uh, uh, the things that George Schleiser said to me. He said, "Jeff, I am the real Barney, Jeff." Oh, so you're doing a George Schleiser impersonation? Totally just, so I just said, "Thank you, George." Okay. And so I just ripped. I'm going him, to man. talk like just, this. Yeah, and then and then when the, his first his first bit of direction for me he says, "Jeff." I want you to write an essay on Barney's past, his life. An essay? An essay. And I said, oh, George. I said, okay. I said, it's like a homework assignment or something. But I started to do it, and it just started to flow out of me, and it was a great exercise. Uh, you know, I can recommend, recommend it to other actors, and I've done it for other parts. Uh, what you do, and you almost do it like I was. I was at the time I was working on a book called um, The Artist's Way. Have you heard? Do you know about that? I've heard of that. I didn't read One it. of the thing in Artist's Way is these morning pages where you write stream of consciousness, which means you don't stop writing. You just so if your head, if your mind is saying, "I don't know what I'm going to write," you say, "I don't know what I'm going to write. I don't know what I'm going to write. I know I'm not supposed to stop moving my hands, so I'm going to keep writing. I don't know what I it's like write. writing. I think, improv. I think yeah, yeah. And so you, so and what happens is that your mind starts to just spill on the page, you know, rather than trying to figure out something. Um, Precious or pertinent, or you know. Well, the vanishing is a good movie. So you just you just let it flow, and um, so I'm writing. I say, how am I going to, you know, how the work? And it turns out that the accent was a total affectation. That the guy was from the valley, you know, here, and his. I could, you know, I we don't have enough time to tell you what the backstory of Bondi is, but it was quite quite remarkable but the accent was a total affectation well, it's on cable all the time which means people yeah. like it check out the original. anytime it's always on <laughs> i don't think you like the original work <laughs> blown away boston i was yeah. living in boston when you filmed oh, this movie go. it was a huge we deal trouble. we got in trouble man we blew out a bunch of windows and oh yeah oh man there's there's some as somebody who spent a lot of my life in boston there's some continuity issues with the with the last oh, yeah, 10 minutes yeah. you're just going downhill for nine blocks there's like uh, oh, no yeah, point yeah, in Boston. Oh, yeah. They cheat. Yeah, they cheat the location. Yeah. All of a sudden, it's San Francisco. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And do you see an explosion from the Four Seasons? And there's no way to see. But yeah. but I I still it's it's an important Boston movie because I think it was like the first. Hey, this is in Boston. Yeah. They're making it here. Jeff Bridges is here. He's staying in a hotel here. Uh, well, and it was like me, a big deal. To me, it was so great because I got to work with my dad. Yeah. And also Tommy Lee, who's one of my favorite actors. It was great. It's it's a good one. It's on a lot. Uh, we got to go Lebowski, which you've talked about a kajillion times. Mm. And then there's this whole crazy Lebowski fan base oh, that, yeah. and this became like an alter ego for you, the dude. Man, yeah, got the the, the Lebowski fests, you know. And you've embraced it. Absolutely. Oh God, yeah. I'm proud of being involved with that one. That's a great movie. Did you know that at the time? Uh, You're I filming knew, it? I knew that, you know, I was a big fan of the Coen brothers. Uh, so I knew that we, you know, we were in good hands. Um, but this was a case 
if I had high expectations, and then when the thing came out, those expectations were you just you went know, nuts. transcended. You know, it was just much better than I thought. I had high hopes, and you know, it was better than I ever thought. I mean, that's a great. You know, that you're talking about seeing movies of mine on TV. Now that movie will come on. Uh, I'll say, well, I'll just watch, I'll you know watch a couple of seasons, wait till Turturro licks the ball, and then I'll you know <laughs> spin to another channel, you know, and he'll lick that thing, and I say, oh, I gotta hang in, you know, I gotta see this, and then I'll I'll stick with that whole movie because the scenes are like popcorn, you can't stop, man, and they're so the more you see it, the more you get out of it, and I'm fascinated just a well by the made movie. Yeah, I'm fascinated by the tale of it because usually with comedies they belong to like a certain generation, right? Like my yeah. generation loves Caddyshack, uh-huh. but I'm not sure under 25 if they care about Caddyshack uh-huh. that way. Big Lebowski, it's just like people hit yeah. 17, yeah. 18, 19, whatever, and they get sucked in, and that's it. Yeah, it just keeps well, going yeah, and going. My theory is that it's just a great. It's such a it's a such a great movie, well made movie. You know where each scene you know leads to something else is surprising. Uh, Roger Deakins, um, the cinematographer, it's so beautifully shot. And like most things, uh, not most things, like I said, some things, and things that I, I really admire that are really well done, uh, it's not in the, the, the beauty of it's not in your face. It's like um, it looks effortless, you know. Well, we're, and, uh, you know. we're almost out of time, so I got to fast okay, forward. Okay. I got to do two more. The Contender. You're up there in conversation for greatest movie presidents. Oh, like if good. I was like, could I take a movie president and actually have them run the real country? Mm-hmm. If I did a bracket, I think my final championship game would be you versus Kevin Klein and Dave. Oh, right. I think, <laughs> good, good. I don't deal. know if anyone else has yeah, any yeah, other candidates. Yeah, good but idea. You were just a good president. You felt like the president. Yeah. Did, did, you, did you know that that was going to be... I mean, that was an important movie. You well, got nominated yeah. for it. I think Joan Allen did, too. Yeah. Uh, Rod, Rod Lurie wrote and directed right. that movie. And he was a very interesting guy. He was a... Um, kind of a polarizing guy. Well, he was... Well, he was a, 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 I don't know if you call him a critic. I guess you call him a critic. But he was more like Truffaut or Begdanovich, he, who both were um, uh, film historians, Critic gave film critics, but they only wrote about movies that they really liked, basically, and they yeah. gave the viewers more insight into it. And Rod, um, he uh, he would interview uh, filmmakers for the reason that he wanted to be a filmmaker himself. So he would always ask very pertinent questions. And it turns out that I was his first interview that he ever did. Isn't that bizarre? Wow. And um, if, you, if I ran into other uh, interviewers, I said, "You know Rod Lurie," and they were, eyes would roll. I said, "Why do you?" I said, "Oh, he was always asking these, you know, questions, you know, just how a camera moves and stuff." But anyway, he uh, he wrote this great script, and um, uh, he 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 was really into politics, really knew about Washington. And then Joan Allen was gonna play, uh, and she's incredible. Know, she's incredible, yeah. and I had worked with her and Tucker years before. Yeah, another good one. And so I thought, oh man, this is going to be a, a good one. And then Rod um, loved the fact he's because I had just played, you know, the dude, you know, maybe a couple of years before. He says, I love the fact the dude's going to be the president. You know, <laughs> I right. love that, and that that really played into my whole thing during that especially that time of my career taking a cue from my father I didn't want to develop too strong a persona in any 
kind of thing. Yeah. So, so you know, doing the dude and then doing the prayers, you know, that was a nice juxtaposition. I enjoyed that. I would say that's your your best characteristic as an actor is the versatility. You know, yeah, that, like yeah. after all these years, you just look back and be like, Thank you. you're the vanishing guy, you're the president, you're the dude, like you're able yeah. to move all these different places. Yeah. So you finally win the Oscar, Crazy Art, uh-huh. 2009. Yeah. You've been in the business at this point, I mean, since you were a kid, yeah. but you'd been making movies for almost 40 years yeah. at that point. Was it everything you hoped it was going to be? It was another one that, of those transcendent things, you know, where I thought it was going to be good and it turned out better than I imagined. So you weren't thinking when you did that script, this is the one I'm going to win the Oscar for this. <laughs> no, 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 no. When, you know, I turned that script down for about two years. Yeah. Because there was no music attached. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in my heart, I always wanted to make a movie, uh, you know, about a musician, you know, and do that because that's something I, you know, I love playing music and it would be, you know, wonderful. Uh, but uh, in a way, you know, it's things are safe when you keep them in the dream world. You know, you're not you, you, you don't you're not going to there's no danger of failure or anything because you're just dreaming. You're just thinking. But now when it starts to come real. You know, it's kind of frightening because we were talking about that wide receiver yeah. with that ball. And when you're throwing that perfect pass, man, all your dreams could come true. Please, God, let me catch this thing. Whatever my sweaty hands slip this thing. Oh, man. <laughs> A lot of anxiety, you know, yeah. and fop sweat and stuff. And so uh, I was kind of relieved when there was no music in the script. I said, wow, I was close. I can keep it and just dreaming about it. And then I'm walking down the street one day and I see my buddy T-Bone Burnett when we met on uh, uh, Heaven's Gate. Yeah. And uh, he says, what do you think about this script, Crazy Heart? I said, oh, I don't know. There's no music. You know? And he says, oh, that's the easy part. I said, why well, are you interested in doing it? He said, well, I'll do it if you'll do it. I said, you're kidding me. He says, yeah. I said, what about the music? He says, we're going to get, we're going to handle that. I said, okay. So off we went and we, you know, wrote those songs. And, uh, I mean, I got, I could tell you lots of stories about it, you know, I mean, it was just a one, you know, it was such a (coughs) a wonderful experience working with my dear friends. Yeah. And, um, you know, making that movie, it was Scott Cooper's first movie. He wrote the script. And now he's, you know, become a big time director. He's got a movie coming out now called Hostels. That's supposed to be terrific. I haven't seen it yet. So you were, last question, you've worked with so many people over the years. I know actors hate this question, but who do you think is the best actor or actress you ever worked with? Was there anybody where you were like, wow, that Gee, person's so I'll, talented, I can't. I will I can't. tell you, these, uh, this movie that's coming out, yeah, uh, Only the Brave, it's got some good performances in it, man. Jennifer uh, Connelly, woo! Josh Brolin, incredible. Miles, uh, you know, Miles Teller, so great. Wonderful, you know, Taylor Kitsch is in it. It's just great, great actors. Uh, I can't name one. No, I, I get knocked out by people's performances. Have you dug uh, Bloodline? Yeah, the Netflix show. Yeah, yeah. Bo's in that. You know, my brother's in that. There's a slew of good actors in that. Man, I'm watching that stuff, huh? Aren't they good? Oh man, you might have to. It sounds like you want to do one Netflix show at some point. Well, all you know, or like some, some sort some of great. You know, that's you know, some great stuff is on there now. It's kind of all switched around. All right, hey, people out there, Jeff Bridges is ready. He's ready to read an awesome script. Oh, 
man. Yeah. This was really fun. All right. I, if this had been four hours, I think we could have done it. Yeah, I think so. But you're so, busy. Man. You're promoting too, stuff. Too many stories, man. Too many it was long, awesome. A long-winded motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. It was awesome. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Bill. Good hanging, man. Thanks again to Jeff Bridges. Thanks to Tate Frazier. Thanks to SeatGeek for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase on NFL tickets. Use promo code BSNFL. And for $30 off your first SeatGeek purchase on NBA tickets, use promo code NBA Palooza. Thanks to Gillette, a Gillette razor blade thinner than a single brain cell. That's the product of many brain cells at work from the thousands of men and women at Gillette. They are always working harder to make your shave better. Two years from now, they'll be working harder to make Tate's shave better. <laughs> now you can get Gillette blades for less at GilletteOnDemand.com. Gillette, a best, the best a man can get. Pricing applies to select products at the sole discretion of the retailer. Thanks to Sonos. Their play bass adds dynamic, pulse-pounding sound to whatever's playing on your TV, streams, music, and practically disappears beneath your TV for a limited time only. Sonos is offering listeners of this podcast 10% off one order of $2,500 or less for any product on Sonos.com. This offer cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions. Use promo code SIMMONS10 Simmons at Sonos.com to receive this exclusive offer. Hope to see some people at the uh, at Lager tonight for the Rewatchables Face Off podcast. We're back on Friday with somebody we have never had on this podcast and who had never done a podcast. It's a good one. And if more NBA stuff happens, I'm I'm gonna hop over to the Ringer NBA show on uh, on Thursday or Friday and chime in. So if you haven't subscribed to Ringer NBA show, I would do so. And by the way, the Ringer NFL show has been fantastic. Not just TM Street with Tate and Lombardi, which has gone to another level, but uh, I listened to Maze and Clark yesterday. On the, they're, they're on Tuesdays and Fridays. And it's just a great football podcast. I, I'm really proud of the Ringer NFL show. I think that feed is, has uh, become indispensable. So check it out. That's it. Back on Friday. <laughs>